Welcome to Driving the Future, a podcast by Capgemini. In this podcast, we discuss where the automotive industry is going and how automakers can not just keep up with the rapidly changing business, but to shape it. The digital revolution is profoundly transforming the automotive industry, ushering in an era of software-driven job roles and requiring innovative thinkers to navigate the changing landscape. This process, often called the Software-Driven Transformation, or SDT, is changing customer expectations and providing us with new means to reaching sustainability goals. Talented minds are needed to occupy new job roles and universities are going to need to re-examine the traditional model of education to encourage more young people to get involved. The software transformation is actually a significant shift in the ways the industries in general is transforming itself. That's Jean-Marie Lapère, VP at Capgemini and Chief Technology and Innovation Officer. Jean-Marie has spent years examining the trends that have emerged during the software-driven transformation and has been instrumental in placing the customer at the center of OEM's software-driven transformation strategy. When I was young, I was still using a paper map. So if you had asked me 25 years ago how I would find my route, I think I would not have imagined what it is today. So it goes the same with the software transformation. It's, it's an enabler. Let me give you a little bit of an example of what it can be. In the big cities of the future, we imagine easily that there will be a lot of restrictions of circulation at the heart of the cities. But there are systems that are being put in place, like you are incented to go what we call multimodals, which is basically, imagine you have a long drive, then you have to park your car in the vicinity of the city or town you want to get into, and you take a bus. And there are actually these kind of park and drive systems in a number of cities that I know. Today, the experience is actually not very good because you want to go somewhere in the city, you have to take your, your favorite navigation system, you go to the park and drive, you park your car, and then you have to get a ticket to take a bus and then get to your destination after finding your way with the different applications. The transformation we are talking about is to actually link this whole thing into one experience. Now, seen from an industry perspective and the manufacturers, what they are looking at is increase the customer loyalty, of course, through the services I was mentioning before. It's also a way to increase the residual value of the products, which is an important element in the processes of the industry. But beyond that, it's also for the manufacturers a way to do something that they are not used to doing, which is to provide services, provide data, and for them, monetize it. This is very difficult because it's a, it's a significant change of practice. It's a change of mindset, but it's not new. We've seen that with the telecom industry. We've seen that with the aerospace industry already. Again, this is not new, but it is very difficult for an industry to change their references, change their culture, and focus on the new ways of doing things. Software-driven transformation is providing OEMs with more opportunities to move towards sustainable business practices. But what do these opportunities look like? Here is Dora Smith, Senior Director for Global Academic Programs at Siemens. Software-driven transformation is moving us towards sustainability in, in every industry, but let's look you know, specifically at the automotive industry. We look at a product's environmental impact, and about 80% of that is determined at that concept phase, 
right? And so if we can, through the software and through the data that's coming into that engineer's mindset and leveraging their skill set, be able to really make uh, more sustainable choices. Siemens Accelerator is our platform for delivering our software through what we call the most comprehensive digital twin, because you want that digital representation of that product, of that vehicle, and to study it from the conceptual phase to when you're going to manufacture it and the choices you make for materials to the life cycle of it and how you think about the service and the services we just talked about to the reuse uh, and eventual recycling of parts. And so it's really trying to address that environmental impact that's determined very early that we now have the software and we have the data to make more informed decisions. So it's, it's really for us trying to enable sustainability to not be this bolt-on activity. It's embedded now in every part of the design and manufacturing and lifecycle management of that product. So we'll have you know, ideally better products. We'll save time, I think, in production, and then ideally have uh, more efficient and sustainable factories. Sustainability and software, two major trends in the auto industry, and they are linked. Example, do you know how much your air conditioning uses in your car? Or do you know when you're driving an electric vehicle, how much extra range you could get if you decrease your air conditioning by one degree when it's hot outside? Or actually even more, I would say, embedded in the, in the vehicle, if the car was to stiffen a little bit your suspension and dampen a, a bit your acceleration, you would actually use significantly less energy. But all of these things are not measured typically. And what this transformation and new software that we are talking about uh, getting into the, the vehicles help doing is exactly extracting that and doing something useful with it, informing the drivers, informing the manufacturers, or code some automation to help, for example, saving energy, which can be translated into increasing your range for a full charge of a battery. So again, I took a specific angle of sustainability seen from the driver with an extra convenience or less inconvenience of a limited range. But you can imagine from there how far these kind of things could be used. It does make me think if I can add one thing here, because we talked about kind of the mapping service, right? And, and that'll give you option one or two, right? You can get there quicker, or you can take this route. And think about in the future, having those decisions as an engineer, you're making parts of, of the vehicle. I can see if I go this route or this route, what's that overall impact going to be? So I mentioned the comprehensive digital twin. You got to look at it in the, the thread of that entire product's life cycle. And in the future, you know, engineers are going to be able to make those, those decisions, trade-offs, because they've got that, that data and they've got that guide to tell them what's the best route. It really is a mix of both in that initial design and the manufacture, which you know can have a very heavy impact, but then yeah, the, the data and that software enabling that information throughout the life cycle. Maybe it's shifting now from the engineer who made it to the consumer that's now using it, but yeah, it has dramatic impact to both. If you look at, again, the structure of the automotive industry, so I'm not taking a user perspective, but more an industry perspective. It's actually a lot of companies linked together to deliver the products and the services. So we typically call that the supply chain, right? And the depth of the supply chain. And one of the first use of the measuring all this data, making it available, et cetera, as we mentioned a bit before, is actually to measure the virus impact along the supply chain, right? 
the final manufacturer, the OEM, right, the car manufacturer, only has partial information historically about what's going on before, right, in the creation of the parts, etc. So one thing that is happening is the manufacturers and suppliers are working together to measure, for example, the CO2 impact end-to-end of bringing one particular part or one particular system to the customer end-to-end. And that's one of the things. So that's typically, again, during the design or the manufacturing piece, right? That's what I'm talking about. It actually starts there. That's the easiest target we are talking about. And we are seeing the industry moving in that direction actually pretty fast. In a previous episode, we discussed the war for talents and the issues OEMs face when trying to attract the next generation of problem solvers. I wanted to know what Jean-Marie and Dora's experience taught them about this conflict and how they felt we could increase the number of talented minds entering the industry. Dora explains. We're not getting enough young people into STEM and engineering, and even those that are, do they actually finish and do they have the right set of skills? You know, so it's, some people will refer to this as the, the leaky pipeline. Even when we get more into the pipeline, they're not always completing. I would look at two aspects to this. One, we've, we've got to go younger. Typically, companies like ours would look at doing things in higher ed because that's closest to where that pipeline of talent is coming into the workforce. But we have to go inspire much younger for people to consider STEM and engineering as a a career choice. And so there's a number of things we do for that. And and Jean-Marie, I'm sure there's some you guys do as well. We just launched this last year. It's called HourOfEngineering.com. And so in some countries, there's an Hour of Code that was launched by a code organization to get people thinking about how fun coding and computing can be. And so that similar kind of vein, we're trying to really just encourage people to consider what engineering is. And then the other thing is to really go wider. And this has a lot of implications. You know, one of the roles I have on an organization I'm on is around diversity and inclusion. And when we look at trying to recruit you know, young women into this space, even the language of engineering may not attract them. And so we have to change how we talk about it. And this is the the beautiful thing about sustainability, because it is something that resonates and really inspires many more to consider coming into this space because they want to be a part of something that's making a positive change. And so, you know, really looking at how do we attract different types of folks? Because you look today, the majority of engineers that I talked to, even fresh grads, had a family member that was an engineer. So someone suggested this field to them. And what about all the others that don't have engineering in their family? You know, we could really solve this quantity gap if we could inspire many more of them. And so really trying to figure out how do we reach them. And so this is where we, we got to get creative because you know, we're still going to work very closely with higher ed and universities, but that may not be the sole source of talent in the future. And we might find more diverse talent to address some of the, the skills that are needed, looking at all different kinds of levels of education even direct, you know, from a a secondary uh, school and and having training programs, or more recently, credentialing programs, where you may have partnerships between academia and industry to really address some of those narrow issues that may not require necessarily a a full four-year degree, or they can continue on and get that over their lifetime. So looking at those credentials and figuring out how we create pathways and, and stack them is also front and center to us. There is a natural delay between what an educational institution will define as a curriculum and uh, when it, it will be applied. This is one of the problems. So I am uh, advocating a lot that we directly feed the universities in particular to say that's the kind of profile, this is the kind of things we, we need to do. A particular case of, uh, of that that is uh, key for me 
is we need, in my view, or the, uh, the uh, university needs to actually put a lot of software education, sorry, <laughs> into almost any STEM, any engineering degree. I just don't need a mechanical engineer today. I need a mechanical engineer that is actually able to deal with software, big data, artificial intelligence, cybersecurity, et cetera, et cetera, right? So we need this education to be uh, completed. So that's one element. The second element is that the, uh, the transformation we are talking about and the new capabilities that we are expecting is actually a mix of capabilities and skills and knowledge from domains that were actually historically separated. What I'm advocating, again, is to mix the two, right? And to mix the two, not only in university now, but also to upskill. So one thing we are doing and we are actually helping a number of our clients is to take their population of professionals in this case. So I'm not talking anymore about the youngs. I'm talking about the ones who are experienced and actually upskill them and give them the new capabilities that are in high demand today. One of the trends we've seen in the software-driven transformation is a departure from one-time purchases to subscription-based plans. This allows for continuous product servicing, including software updates and bug fixes. This model thrived in the computer and smartphone industry, but now it's spreading. Dora elaborates. So I think the software-driven transformation is definitely moving us in the direction of uh, full life cycle relationships and engagements versus one-time purchases. I think we can all see it in our daily lives too, how we consume music, how we consume media. But you know, looking at Specifically in our space and what I'm most interested around in the education space is we're transitioning to software as a service. And so we as a company have to think about, you know, a car manufacturer isn't going to just buy our software like they did in the past and a perpetual license agreement and then maybe get maintenance and, and updates to that software. They're just buying it on a subscription. They can cancel it at any time, right? Their experience with our software has dramatically changed and we have to make sure that they value it every minute they're subscribed to it. So we as a company are going through that transformation ourselves. And it's, it's where the education market needs to go. Uh, it's starting to look at that, but it's really thinking about, you know, learning as a service. Uh, and some have talked about it as a university as a service. So that maybe in the future, you're not paying in some countries a lot of money upfront for that four or five year degree, and then you're done, right? And you're just working. But maybe it's really a subscription model that you as an individual or you in your company as a company maybe supports that ongoing learning or really subscribe to lifelong learning through a set of, of providers. Because companies like ours, and, and Jamri, I'd love to hear if you guys have a similar approach. I mean, we, we now require employees to go through so many digital learning hours every year so that we're constantly upskilling our, ourselves. And so that's the model industry's going, companies are going, and, and education's going to need to follow. It's just a really different financial model than they've existed for their history. And so it's, it's a dramatic change. But some of them are starting to really innovate and think about that and establish those kind of relationships with company. And I think those are going to be the ones that thrive and survive. Yes, I, I agree. The first thing the current OEM are looking at is to be able to update the product after it was sold. I don't know how many times your old vehicle was updated, but I can bet it was not uh, updated very, very often. I actually checked how many times Tesla updated their vehicles during the first six months of this year, 2023. 
and it was 52 times. And I think eight of these times were tagged major updates, right? So imagine your vehicle being updated 52 times in six months. That is normal in the software industry. It is not the tradition, I would say, of the automotive industry, but that's where it's going, right? And that's the first change that is happening because every single OEM has their first priority set on being able to update the vehicle and push more services, correct issues if there are issues, of course, but also bring new value after you bought the vehicle. So the kind of updates that are possible in vehicles, so if you look at historically, the typical update you would get in a current vehicle is an update of your Bluetooth stack. If you take a very new phone and you try to connect it to a very old car with a Bluetooth capability, you may actually have a lot of problems. So one of the driver of updates is actually to update the Bluetooth stack so you always have a recent enough version so the new phones can connect. It looks stupid, but that's the reality of the technology, right? Now, what we are talking about, about uh, when we, we talk about OTA, over, which means over-the-air, over-the-air update or full over-the-air update, is the ability to bring completely new services and update significant services. The most well-known, I was mentioning Tesla before, the most well-known of this big package is the so-called FSD, full self-driving mode, you know, that, which is an option that Tesla sells for quite a lot of money, actually, which is very popular. So they are making improvements on, on that capability as they go, and they are pushing these updates all the time. And actually, if you look, and it's public information, you can look at the update that Tesla is pushing to the car. There are a lot of them related to this package FSD, make this self-driving capability more performant, of course. You can think, of course, naturally about the anything infotainment. We talked earlier about a new algorithm to improve the range of a battery for electric vehicles, for example, or capability to say, I will save, we mentioned uh, sustainability before, we will save a bit of battery by doing things differently, dampening acceleration, sorry, stiffening suspension, etc. All of that are managed by software that is developed as we go. In the past, you bought a car and you got the basically the services defined by the manufacturer before this car was designed, which typically is years before actually you, you bought it. Today, you are getting all the improvements potentially as they go. So same as on your smartphone, but uh, with the mobility as aspect of it. This new model doesn't just allow for products to be maintained or improved over prolonged periods. It also provides exciting opportunities for the educational model. As technologies such as AI are being developed, universities are being encouraged to move towards a long-term educational model that keeps its students at the forefront of their industry. Dora tells us why. So it's interesting to look at how the relationship between universities and industry has changed. I've been in this current role of mine for eight years, and just in that time, I've seen the tides really turn from what was a push from us as industry to try to, to drive that change to more of a pull. I think with all the changes in the education market, there's also been a little bit of a, a humbling and maybe a little bit less of the ivory tower that existed in the past. 
academia is still very slow to change. Part of that is the nature of their business. Part of it's the nature of the quality assurance on their business. But what we're seeing now, just really, I think in the last two years, is a lot more change agents. I always call these folks the kind of the lighthouses, right? Which they fully acknowledge they're not meeting, you know, back to what we talked about earlier, that kind of quantity and, and quality issue of the graduates, you know, that industry needs. And they really want a more strategic and collaborative partnership with industry. So they're willing to adopt more of the content and curriculum. You know, one of the things Jean-Marie said earlier that I wanted to come back to is, you know, the challenge in schools is they have these silos, right? Mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, maybe computer and software. And we need engineers that really look horizontally uh, across that, right? But that's hard for the schools to drive change when, when they're structured that way. But we can introduce that content curriculum, and even some of the challenges that allow students to do a project where you've got a team of student engineers from all those disciplines, and they really learn from one another. So we really are seeing the, the appetite and the interest. They just need a lot of strong support, right? So looking for opportunities where we can even, we call it like reverse sabbaticals, where you might bring educators into the industry setting so they can see how things are changing, and that helps upskill them. Or we might bring some of our subject matter experts and have them, you know, guest lecture and but that kind of human support and, and relationship in addition to the content and the technology. And the other thing I would add is that previously companies like ours may have looked at just that higher ed space. And I think almost any company now is looking at the, I think, K through career, some call it. We need to inspire many more into this space and we need to have a relationship with them throughout their lifelong learning uh, journey. What does that look like and how do you provide the support and the programs around that? And each one of those education systems is, is very different, right? And so figuring out what is our, our role in play and how we can help them evolve. But uh, yes, definitely seen a, a dramatic shift in this last decade. We typically need uh, students that have been more hands-on, right? The training that we, we tend to give or the, the educational institution tend to give may be a bit, I would say, detached, right? Not hands-on. And what we need is, of course, that they learn the subject, they know the, the theory behind it, but also try it. Try it in a use case that is close to reality, right? And uh, I love the placement here between the second and third year of a bachelor in the UK. is a brilliant system that allowed the students to actually uh, feel the reality of the world they will have to face uh, in the future. Ultimately, engineers and scientists across the world are interested in using the software-driven transformation to move us towards sustainability. Young minds who are exposed to new technologies while at school have the best chance at innovating and navigating this uncertain landscape. How else can we prepare students to tackle this challenge? I asked Jean-Marie and Dora to explain. For the sustainability challenge, I think the student need to think about change management, and it's difficult for them because, of course, they have not been immersed yet in their professional lives. But basically, what I want the students to do is to what I call think big, right? And try to imagine the going beyond the current ways of how things work. And do not hesitate to challenge the traditions, the practices that they can observe around them and think through. Actually, being a student, you have the ability to do that, right? It's a bit more complicated when you're in a professional environment. So that's what I would say. Think big and go beyond uh, the current practice. Think the future. So there are two things I would want to share about what we're trying to do to help students and, and the education systems that they're in. 
you know, I think Jamar, you you just touched on it. You know, really thinking through what is needed and getting them to think differently. Back to that mindset we talked about at the beginning. And so one of the things we pulled together in the last year and a half was a skills for sustainability network. And so we got you know some of our customers, some educators, and students, and, and we get together periodically throughout the year and really try to look at you know those skills, those gaps, some of the challenges get them to think towards innovation, as, as Jean-Marie mentioned. And then from that, we did a um, skills sustainability survey with the students, because back to what I shared earlier, I'm really very passionate about having the voice of the, the student and that fresh hire to, to help guide us. And so these students really talked about what they had in their current education system and what they felt was missing after they had heard from industry. So that's a, a resource that's there that hopefully people can, can leverage and, and be a guide. But the other thing is looking for some opportunities for collaboration. So we, we talked about industry and academia, you know, collaborating like never before. One of the areas, and Jean-Marie, this is uh, coming out of the UK, but is the Engineering Professors Council. And we're supporting them along with a number of other companies in creating a sustainability toolkit. So this will be a toolkit for educators so that they can bring those latest practices, use cases, curricular content. And, and, you know, everyone's trying to figure this out at the same time, and it's, it's for the collective good and, and purpose. So really trying to help them have a resource guide to, to take forward. So those are two things that are in development, some that have just come out, but I think really help pave the way for the future where we need to go and make sure everyone's not trying to create this on their own or, or recreate it. It sounds like students are in a unique position. While there's unprecedented change underway across many industries, students have the chance to embrace the new technology and bring us closer to sustainability. To conclude our conversation, I asked the guests about how they felt about the future and humanity's goal to reach sustainability. I think we are living incredible times in the sense that a lot of things are changing, changing fast. When I was uh, thinking two seconds, oh, how was I working 20 years ago? It was actually significantly different. What's exciting is we can be a part of those driving the change. A lot of people are actually afraid of everything that is going on, Gen AI, for example, being the last buzz. But I actually see that as an enormous opportunity for our generation to be able to define, I would say, the standards of the future. Now, maybe actually a number of people predict that actually the change will continue to accelerate. I don't know. But at least I, I see the positive side of it and see how we can actually make a difference and use all these great innovations for the bigger good, right? As we discussed before. So I'll share a, a personal story here. I, I am very excited for the future. And as I described earlier, I really have seen a change and more change possible in this last decade. But a number of years ago, there was a young woman working uh, in our team and she just spoke about her generation feeling so overwhelmed with the climate challenge that they don't even know where to begin or what to do and just feeling this sense of helplessness. And fast forward to today and these these students that we've engaged in, in some of these sustainability networks I mentioned, they are fired up. Like they want to drive change. And I've just seen the tone in, in the students themselves wanting to collaborate, wanting to figure out the path forward versus that feeling of, of helplessness. So that gives me a lot of hope because we can say and do a lot of things and provide a lot of resources, but at the end of the day, it's got to be the hearts and minds of these future engineers that are going to innovate and drive the change. Software-driven transformation is changing customer expectations and pushing sustainability to the forefront of young people's minds. 
The industry needs the next generation of technical thinkers in order to navigate the changing landscape. Hence, it needs to place sustainability at the center of its strategy, as well as re-examining its relationship with universities. The automotive industry needs the next generation of technical thinkers in order to navigate the changing landscape. And hence, it needs to place sustainability at the center of its strategy, as well as re-examining its relationship with universities. New models of ownership will allow for fluid, long-term maintenance of products and services, ultimately giving educators another way to ensure students have the knowledge they need to stay ahead. Thank you for listening to this episode of Driving the Future. Thanks to our guests Jean-Marie Lapeyre and Dora Smith for their stories and insights. <laughs>